This is a Ward Scott Files advisory. The Ward Scott Files podcast may contain material not suited for people who are easily offended. Trust us on this. This show contains adult information and opinions. Please protect small children, sensitive pets, fragile houseplants, and liberal relatives. Thank you. Warthog. He's going to come up the steps. Here he comes. Oh my goodness, and he's huge. Hello, boy. I wonder if we can pet him. Hi, boy. Can we touch him? No, don't. Help me! Help! Help! Good morning, good morning. Professor Ward Scott here in the manly Warthog Man Cave. Where else would I be, huh? In the piney woods of North Central Florida in God's country. Uh, Ted's laughing about that. You know, it's got, it gets kind of deep once in a while. Ted, you've been in barnyards. You know what it's like. So, <laughs> uh, you know, so anyway. Uh, it is deeper here. in Washington. <laughs> yeah, deeper in Washington, which we're going to talk about in a minute. And we're here in the Manly Warthog Man Cave, which is inside one of our great sponsors, uh, Melvin Law Studio, the only official law firm partner of the University of Florida Gators and protected by crime prevention, 24-7-365, locally owned, Always support your locally owned businesses. You can be uh, secure and monitored here right locally with uh, John Pastore and his wife, Randy Elrad. Great bunch of people and all of our other hosts uh, and sponsors. We appreciate those of you who donate quietly but steadily to the show. You know who you are. Every once in a while, you get a card of appreciation from me. Uh, if you don't, don't think I haven't noticed it. Um, and we're always uh, presenting more and more hopeful uh, good events for you. Uh, we got Ted Yoho with us. He just told me before we went on the air that we're watched in South Korea. Uh, right. I suppose we might even be watched in uh, Mongolia. I don't know. It might but be. <laughs> we might be watched in Mongolia. But uh, people are interested in what's going on in the United States of America. They don't typically get it in a reliable way through the conventional media, if you will. Uh, it always seems to have a kind of a slant to it that uh, promotes their publications. We're just here trying to get you an honest conversation. So we really appreciate Ted coming on every Wednesday. No matter where he is in the world, he's the world traveler, and he is uh, steady uh, as can be on uh, appearing with us. And that builds brands. That builds uh, reliability. It builds uh, an identity. That's what it's all about is being steady with your uh, uh, commitment to things. So we just need to teach young people that. Right, Ted? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we really do. We really yeah. do. Yeah. So. No, anyway, he's back in uh, Putnam County, right? Putnam County, in the little town of Wheelatka, the good life community on top of the hill by the river. That's oh, capital of <laughs> Oh, my golly. That's a mouthful. That's perfect. Well, well we don't want more people here. It's getting too crowded. I think there's 701 people now. <laughs> 701 people. Oh, my golly. Uh, let me see if I can pull this up somewhere uh, on uh, my computer. I'll get to it later to see who's watching. But, uh, Ted, we, I sent you a couple of things to uh, look at, and we were talking about them before we came on the air. Um, very interesting. Since you just got back from that Asian world, I know you're well-connected there. Um, I sent Ted uh, an article, came out in the Wall Street Journal, talking about G7 as a host. And things have shifted, in a sense, since uh, we've had G7s, and the article points that out. Uh, and this has a big story behind it, and it's not necessarily uh, a story that is going to make you sleep better at night. Um, by that, we mean, you know, we have this threat of territorial uh, intrusion, if you will, going on with Russia into Ukraine. And we have the threat of it with China going into Taiwan. And we have countries like Japan, war-weary as they are, they nevertheless know what it means to defend yourself and hold your ground. So Ted has just returned from there. Uh, this article, which Ted is familiar with since I sent it to him, he probably would have read it without me, um, goes back to 70, 1976 when Canada joined. Um, member countries were responsible for 62% of the global gross domestic product. Today, the combined share of G7 has fallen to 44%. Now, that sounds just like uh, maybe... Uh, just more uh, percentages and statistics, but there's a big story behind that. Ted, I'm going to let you sort of lead us through that. 
Sure, not not a problem. Number one, thanks for being on every day and for doing this. Uh, the G7 is a collection of those seven countries that come together that used to kind of, like you said, 60-some percent. Now we're down to 44% of the G- world GDP. So what that means is there's less influence by the G7 nations. And if there's less influence, you can't direct policies um, on national security uh, levels. And you get organizations like China or countries like China And I should be more clear about that. It's the Communist Party um, is in control of that. And then you get organizations that they have huge influence in, which is the WHO and the the UN, the United Nations, that start directing policy. And um, they're a big push behind, you know, government control, uh, one world government type, because they see themselves as a hegemon that's going to survive this because they have a growing economy. Um, And so it's, I think the interesting thing is, we're seeing the puzzles or the, the, the pieces of the, the board game being shifted around who has the control. And we in America, you know, we've had that peace dividend since World War II to where we became the world uh, loan superpower. We became the world head of economics. You um, had the strongest economy for a long time there. Now we're giving way to other countries. China is the number one. And then you have Japan, and then you're going to have that block of countries called ASEAN, which has got 10 Asia-Pacific countries that account for 653 million people, close to $4 trillion in trade. That block is going to be one of the the big trading blocks. And so you're going to see influence shift from the liberal capitalistic democracies that stand for freedom to being thinned out. And you're going to have more influence from countries like China. Russia is going to be in there just by default that they're kind of a becoming some people call vassal state of China. So collectively, that's a pretty strong block. And then you're going to have countries like Iran join in that voting as North Korea does and, and the authoritarian governments. And the bottom line is this is a time in history where we have to stick together with like-minded countries, not to influence or put our will on those countries, but protect that world order that has come out of World War II. And I don't mean world order. I mean more of the international norms and laws that makes trade happen around the world. And if we lose that, we're going to have the system that is designed by China and other authoritarian governments. And I don't think anybody wants that. And I can tell you the G7 nations, um, Japan in particularly, and then South Korea, uh, where it was hosted this time. No, it was hosted in Japan at Hiroshima. But they are very concerned about these changing pieces on the chessboard of who's going to be in control. And they have been under authoritarian rule before. Of course, Japan was uh, an imperial state. And South Korea has been under the control of uh, Japan before. And they don't want it again. And they see what's going on in Russia invading illegally the Ukraine, that this gives a reason for China to act up and take into Taiwan. If that happens, Japan says they, they have no choice but probably to go to war. So, you know, as the article points out, we're involved in that. As the article points out, and you alluded to, um, we have a Sino Russia possible alliance here. Sure. And you think of them as being enemies, not getting along, but. Here they are, probably posing, well, certainly from the point of view of Japan, posing a huge threat. How about Zelensky being invited there? Let's talk about that for a moment. You know, that was, um, when I was in South Korea, it was at the Asia Leadership Conference, and we talked a lot about that. In fact, his wife was there, and Boris Johnson was there, and I'd never seen Boris speak before, but he did just an incredible, incredible talk. And um, Ms. Zelensky was there. And um, she was saying that every day in Ukraine, there's 50 missile strikes. And every day, 50 missile strikes. You multiply that by 30 days, um, you know, and it's 1,500 in a month every day. 1,500 a month every month. And so they are living in fear and death. I mean, it's an existential threat for them. And so there's a lot of support. 
not just from the United States and some of the European countries, um, but from the Asia Pacific, mainly South Korea and Japan. And Boris Johnson talked about, um, uh, I, I think just to wrap that portion up, uh, LCDs, you know, cause they had, he goes, this is the largest LCD screen I've ever seen. It's probably a hundred feet long. And he goes, we know what LCD stands for liquid crystal diodes. He goes, but I like to think of LCD is something different. It's liberal capitalist democracies that stand for freedom. And, you know, you look at our allies, Japan and South Korea, um, with us as a trilateral agreement that's as strong, if not stronger than NATO. And we're more in tune on the same mind step of what we're trying to do is maintain the peace dividend. Um, but it, he says countries like the Ukraine that are a fledgling democracy, um, you know, even though they don't have it right, they've got a lot of corruption and things like that. Their mindset is for freedom and liberty. On the other side is you've got uh, Putin with Russia, who's being backed by China. You've got authoritarian gun countries that want to squelch liberty and freedom because they cannot exist in societies or in a country that has liberty and freedom. So that's really where the divide is. And so that's why people are standing there. That's why Zelensky was invited. That's why his wife was invited to speak because that's really what's under assault here. And you've heard me talk about that book, The Miracle of Freedom, The Seven Tipping Points That Saved the World. Um, you know, when you look at how fleeting and how little people have ever lived in freedom in the world, and it's under attack. So that's why we need to stick together. Seems to me, I remember that one of the Japanese prime ministers, maybe the previous one, was assassinated. Am I right on that? I can't remember. Sure. This now has taken his place, and how is he doing it? What was that about? What was the, um, can you give us a, a thumbnail on that? Yeah, Shinzo Abe uh, was the prime minister and just a great guy. And he he was the one that says, you know, Japan needs to start building up our military, not for offensive strikes, but for a stronger defensive, because at the end of the day, we can only rely on Japan for our security. And so he changed that mindset in Japan and, um uh, he got assassinated. He got assassinated by a guy that made a wooden gun. It was a wooden gun that killed uh, President or Prime Minister Abe, which was a shame because he was such a good world leader, good friend and ally of the United States. But this guy killed him with a wooden gun, so I guess we're going to have to take wooden guns off the market. Um, and they replaced him with um, Prime Minister Kashidi. And he, he was very weak. You know, he won by a very small margin. But what he has done and stepped up, his popularity is gaining. And, again, it's that the the flux that's going on in the world with what China is doing in the South China Sea, elsewhere, you know, taking over a lot of the mining and, and just infrastructure around the world. In addition to what Russia invaded Ukraine, they see this as a potential existential threat that they have to prepare for. And Prime Minister Kashide, he went to Ukraine or he, he, he volunteered, I think it was 700, no, $70 billion in foreign assistance to the Ukraine and also working with India to bolster that Indo-Pacific relationship. And it's a good move. Um, and again, I think they're the right people at the right time, especially President Yoon of South Korea, who we got to meet and talk with a little bit. Of course, he's the one that came over here in the Biden administration saying um, American pie, um, you know, just a great guy. And he has endeared himself to our country, but also to the South Koreans. I'm Ted Yoho on our Wednesday with Ted here. I guess we ought to call it that from here on, Wednesday with Ted. Uh, looking at the <laughs> chat line, Wednesday with Ted, I love it. That might stick, you know. Well, certainly they'll like it in South Korea, right? Uh Watching yeah. the chat line here to see if anybody uh, uh, has anything that they'd like to bring up. Um, and thank you for watching, you guys. Thank you for posting. Uh, let me just scan real quickly here the um, comments. And, of course, um, not everybody puts one in. That's okay. Um, you know, it turns out, really, that uh, your experience, and I I saw, I always remember waiting to get in and see you up there in D.C. And in the hallway were all these people, I think, at that time were from South Korea. And I asked you when I finally got in to see, I said, Ted, what are all these guys doing out here? And they said, well, they want to know we're going to support them 
in case the uh, dictator of North Korea acts up. And um, and then, you know, from that day, you know, I guess you but, um, sort of kept these connections going. And uh, and good for you, because um, they certainly were there to see you and depend upon what you had to say to them. I, rem- I remember that very well. <clears throat> you know, they they I can't tell you how much they appreciate America. We went to the DMZ. Uh, I got to go into North Korea in the, the, the blue building, the safe building, where they negotiate. So we were on the North Korea side. And they have a um, North Korea war memorial there. And it's interesting, when you look at the countries that were involved in the, um, the Korean War, um, how, how many people were sent from each country. Uh, countries like uh, Colombia had more people there than France had. You know, and you think of the the history of France with World War II and World War One, World War II, mainly World War II, of how foreign nations came to defend that country. And so, in South Korea, they have this plaque up in the at the DMZ. America sent 1.8 million soldiers over there. Thirty three thousand were killed in action. I think it was another uh, seventy or ninety thousand that were wounded and they they appreciate americans they appreciate what we did they see that american soldiers and the american government um was there to fight for freedom and liberty we have changed as a country from that now we're going in building democracies which we shouldn't do um and the monies that got put into south korea after the um the armistice was signed um It's a life-changing decision that the American government, funded by the generosity of the American people, uh, made a powerhouse out of South Korea. And I think the best example is if you look at a satellite photo of South Korea and North Korea at night, I mean, that tells you everything you need to know. It's a strong, vibrant economy. It's like-minded. 20% of the population is Christian. And... um, they appreciate their freedom. And I got to speak to the young, young, uh, probably high school and college students. And it's interesting, the restraint they have on questioning authority or asking even questions of the professors. Um, and I, I put uh, a couple people on the spot because I said, if you're not going to ask questions, I'm going to ask questions of you. And um, I, I picked on this one little girl that was texting. <laughs> oh, Really? Yeah. She said, well, you know, in our country, we're afraid to question our teachers. You know, it's not it's not correct to do that. I said, well, I'm giving you the permission. And you know what her concern was? Is that they will have a democratic type of government that protects their freedom. And I said, the only way you're going to have that is to get involved and speak up and get active in it. And, uh, you know, they they understand what they have and they don't want to lose it. Interesting. I want uh, you know. I know you've spoken to our people too, young people. Sure Any comparison, contrast, jump out at you on that? Oh yeah, big time. Um, you know, there they're a very disciplined culture. Um, they're very respectful, um, and they're very orderly. I mean, they're, they're, they they have virtually no crime in that country, and they appreciate what they have as far as their liberties and freedoms. And I think with the the, the conflict there, uh, the Korean War, and the aftermath of that. And see, that country really didn't become industrialized until late 70s, early 80s, and they were still under um, uh, autocratic rule pretty much. And they the, their freedoms and liberties that come from a dem- democratic process, you know, of course, that's predicated on their constitution, is something new to them. And so they're learning. They were we were, and, you know, maybe... Um, well, 70 years after the Revolutionary War. And so they're developing. Um, but they really appreciate that we're in this country, the complacency we have. Um, I saw no transgender bathrooms. You know, people know, you know, male from female. Uh, and I'm not bashing our country for that. But I think we're confused at this point in time in our in our history. And I think we just need to talk basics. And, 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 and again, you know, I've talked about that. When things get too complicated, you need to go back to the basics. What, is, what should government be doing? You know, and, and I think that's something that our people in school need to be taught, and they're not being taught. They're being taught about 
you know, all this nonsense that they're teaching instead of the basics. And that's why we're falling behind, not just as a G7 nation, but in our reading, math, and science. And these other countries are excelling. Well, every time you look at rainbow part, uh, uh, participants, they're not our native people, really. Uh, it's almost, uh, um, you know, becomes a standard kind of a expectation. But, um, you know, we got a, a, about 10 minutes before we take a break. I've got to comment, and I know um, maybe they know this in South Korea. I think it's obviously a stunt, as uh, DeSantis called it. And it's um, the NAACP expelling uh, Florida from the Union is the headline in the uh, <laughs> Wall Street Journal. But uh, putting out a travel advisory when the actual head of the NAACP lives in Tampa, you know, <laughs> I lost your uh, image, by the way. There you go. You're back. And, <laughs> and I was thinking, you know, nobody really would object to teaching. Oh, let's say another point of view about uh, um, race. If it weren't mandatory and shoved down right. your throat and and turned into a, a blatant application of the race card. And that's the issue, not the fact that somebody wanted to express a different point of view in the classroom or raise his or her hand and say, well, what about this? That would be fine. It's when they come in and say, and it's ironic because the thing they're protesting is the thing they abused. Right. You know, it's, it's a typical story of hypocrisy. Um, we can do it, but you can't do it. Right. You know? And so now we get this ridiculous, and of course it's aimed at DeSantis, who apparently is going to make an announcement today, and yeah. um, uh, all that sort of business. I thought I had to put that in there because well, it's- No, I appreciate you doing that because I wrote a response to that. You know, the NAACP, it's got what I think it's over 100 years old. And again, organizations, when they start, I think they start for a good cause. But what they have done by saying Florida's a racist state, don't travel, a travel advisory. Give me a break. Um, they have lost their their legitimacy as an organization because they did do good. You know, I mean, they did, you know, live up to their name, but now they become a political hatchet job. So they've lost their legitimacy. And I would think members of the NAACP that believe in this country, believe the greatness of this country, the opportunity that is in this country that has allowed people from every race, nationality, and country in the world to achieve beyond their wildest beliefs, that these people that maybe are members of the NAACP people or NAACP organization would stand up and say, you know what, I denounce what you're saying, it's wrong, and we're not going to play that, and throw the leadership out. And until we see that, the NAACP is going to keep people on this. You're probably going to get some dings on this on the plantation because, by God, you better not step out of line. I saw that happen with Al Lawson when he questioned something about Obamacare. The, the Democratic Black Caucus went after him, ran an opponent after him in his primary. Um, and so it's time for people, you know, this is where wokeism should stand up on a good way. You know, the NAACP saying we're a racist state, do not travel here. That's when they need to, these people need to stand up and just say, this is a bunch of BS and we don't, we don't, uh, we're not going to participate in that and, and drop their, their membership to the NAACP. Somebody made a joke that is AAA now going to issue a travel advisory against the NAACP? <laughs> <laughs> did you see what, did you see what Rick Scott put out? I, I forgot. Remind me again. He said something funny. Rick Scott is so frustrated with the dysfunction of Washington. He put out an advisory to liberals and woke people that do not come to Florida because um, it is anti-woke, anti-this and anti-that, and you won't be happy here, so just stay home. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, well, you know, unfortunately, if you like Florida the way it used to be, as I saw it uh, back in uh, in the 50s anyway, it was a, a far cry from that, I can tell you, and there's no stopping people coming. Um they're going to come because we don't have a state income tax. We've got wonderful weather. Uh, and the irony is DeSantis has got, done an awful lot for teacher salaries. He's done a lot for 
sure. uh, black employment. Um, and this is all uh, kind of a shot across the bow to try to uh, push people over towards uh, the Democrat president candidate. That's all it is. It's all politics. It's, it's all po- it's, politics. It's the ugliest and most ineffective. Um, I, I, I just, it's, it's disappointing to have what was once an organization, as you said, that had a place and did some good and was needed. And yeah. um, but it was taken over by the race baiters themselves, the Al Sharptons and those people. Um, sure. The worst kind of the worst kind of uh, comments that they make. They're just hateful and and divisive. Yeah, just hateful and yeah. divisive and racist. They've become the racist. So uh, who was it? It said Morgan Freeman, I guess, said, yeah, I know how to stop it. Stop talking about it. But you exactly said it's not right. in your best interest to stop talking about it because it's not about really homogenizing, if you will, all the people. It's about really dividing the people for power. It's driving a political agenda. And and I'm going to flip back over to South Korea because we were out to dinner with, you know, different, all kinds of different people. And I asked them, I says, how big of a concern is North Korea? And the consensus was pretty much, we don't even think about North Korea. You know, it's there. We grew up with them. They've always done this and nothing has changed. So we're not, we don't go to bed in fear of North Korea, but yet the politicians on the outside, Oh, well, we got to do this and that. And you kind of wonder if it's the industrial um, military industrial machine complex um, preparing for the next war because they go out of business. If there's not a conflict to go to, we finished uh, Afghanistan and Iraq or Afghanistan. We got out of it. I don't like how we got out of it, but I'm glad we're out of it. And then all of a sudden, Ukraine and Russia go and the military complex is happy because people are in conflict and dying and they're selling um, machinery. Going with Ted Yoho on Ted's Wednesday um, here on the Ted, Words God Files. Being Ted's seen right now, Ted. no doubt. I like that. Yeah, Ted's Wednesday being seen, no doubt, in South Korea, Mongolia, who knows? Uh, all parts in between. We you are know, carrying we, your word around the world. Her around the world. Yes, sir, buddy. Well, uh, anyway, we are going to take a break here in a moment for the weather. And um, be right back. I'm checking the chat line as we're talking to see if anything's on your mind. Um, one of the things that I did see in that article that I forgot to bring up, and I'm sure you saw it too, was that Germany and some of these countries are kind of sort of on the fence here because they want to sell their products in um, China, right? Right. And Germany wants to sell cars in China and right. France wants to do, you know, so that unity is not, it's sort of fractured is what that article suggests. Well, until they get to the point where they're, they're threatened, they're going to put their pocketbook in, in first place uh, instead of standing up for principle. And at some point you're going to have to stand up for principle. And, and you would think uh, Germany and France would remember, you know, not too long ago, you know, the invasion of Normandy and all those things and, you know, the death and destruction that happened and the loss of freedom and how fleeting freedom is. And, uh, yeah, for Macron to go to China and say, we need to get away from American influence, um, we can talk more about that. Go with Ted Yoho, and we're going to be right back in a moment on Ward Scott Files with Ward's Weather, brought to you by Lewis Oil. Stay tuned. Although the owner of Lewis Oil Company maintains she is 29, Lewis Oil turns 60 years old in June. Chevron would like to recognize the North Florida second-generation family-owned business, celebrating its growth and staying power. Lewis Oil Company maintains significant on-hand supplies, strategically located fuel depots, a delivery fleet, on-site service, fuel card locks, and convenience stores. Lewis Oil Company understands its responsibility in the local economy by providing service and delivery on demand and in crisis. As a first responder for 18 Florida counties and the southeast from Texas to Virginia, we are proud of this rare accomplishment. Lewis Oil delivers. This is Ward Scott, and I want to thank all our sponsors who keep the show going and pay the bills. The Ward Scott Files premium sponsors are Crime Prevention Security Systems, large enough to serve you, small enough to care. Melvin Law, the only official injury partner of the Florida Gators. The Ward Scott Files Gold sponsors are Lewis Oil Company, Shoot GTR, 
on-the-spot dry cleaners, R&R construction, and style cuts. If you are interested in promoting your business on the show, you can visit our website, www.wardscottfiles.com, and click on the Advertise Here banner on the right side of the page or call my friend Freddie at 352-284-3733. Again, thank you to all the great businesses that support the Wardscott Files. And remember, if you like the show, thank our sponsors and support the businesses that support us. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. May God have mercy on your soul. Or that very much surprises me that you've never been tased. You can't handle the truth! All bees poop. Warthog. He's going to come up the steps. Here he comes. Oh my goodness, and he's huge. Hello, boy. I wonder if we can pet him. Hi, boy. Can you touch him? No, don't. Help me! Help! Help! All right, welcome back to Ward Scott Files. Ward's weather brought to you by Lewis Oil. Wendell Lewis, Chevron stations, yes, fossil fuel, use it. Nothing wrong with it. That's the biggest hoax perpetrated on mankind that we're going to reduce uh, whatever affect climate change. We're just going to transfer it to another country and make ourselves weaker than them, richer. And, you know, it's a shell game. Well, weather going on here right now, according to what I'm looking at on my Accu uh, weather uh, platform right now, 70 degrees outside the window here. Only it says, I don't know if I believe this, going up to 77 today, which not even hitting 80. And it's got a possibility of rain even starting in as few as four minutes. I don't know. I've been tricked before, but I'll certainly take what I can get. Um, you know, my way of knowing what the weather's doing is by watching where the cattle's heads are and right. whether, they're not, whether they're looking at me when I come up the, come up the lane in the pick them pick up truck. If they are, that means they ain't got enough to eat. And if they ignore me, you know how it is. They're not much different from people. <laughs> yeah, really. I had to think about you yesterday because um, I was reading the weather, and it said it's 73 degrees but feels like 80. Yeah, yeah. And I'm like, no, it doesn't. It's 73 degrees, and I'm cold, so it feels to me like it's 68. So don't tell me it feels like 80. You know? I don't know what that feels like stuff means. But anyway, I got yeah, the same thing you right now. What it feels like. That's at 77, but it feels 82. I don't know who, who's doing the feeling. Artificial intelligence? Anyway, Ward's Weather brought to you by Lewis Oil. Uh, we're taking some chats. I'm looking at the chats. Um, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, uh, something that Ted's got a wonderful name for, and I'm going to give you the name and then let him explain it. Groundhog Day. Now, Groundhog Day is a well-known event that tells us how many more whatever days of winter we got. I think he comes out. The Hawks get filled with whoever he is in uh, Pennsylvania. But uh, Groundhog Day, believe it or not, applies to the so-called debt ceiling. Oh, don't say that word. It's so scary. Oh, my God. <laughs> the world's going to crash and end, and Armageddon's yeah. here. Yeah, I got the cheat sheet here because I got the journal analysis of it. So, uh, um you know, one of the things, obviously, is so, and, of course, they've been stealing it from it forever. Um, the money's already in the bank, wink, wink, for Social Security. So <laughs> we're not talking about not paying Social Security payments because supposedly it's there all the time because we put it in there as workers. Yeah, we do. And, you know, the Groundhog Days, I mean, that's the perfect name for this. Unfortunately, the leaders in Congress and members, a lot of them, are following the groundhog. I mean, they're they're getting their information from a, a groundhog. And that's about as much thought that goes into it because every year we go through the same thing. And then politicians, they go, oh, my God, we're about to run out of money. We're going to default. Uh, if we don't raise the debt ceiling, it's gonna we're going to default. And it is such a falsity, sophistry, uh, <laughs> because... Not raising the debt ceiling 
does not trigger a default. A default is happens only when you don't pay your bills. We have never not paid our bills. It's statutory. You have to pay the bills. The president has to. I mean, that's one of his obligations. They have to pay the bill. And as you said, the money's there. The money comes in every day, every month, and it's going to continue to come in. But it's the inactivity of what Congress, inactivity and inefficiency of what Congress doesn't do or does that leads to this. And watch this. As we move towards September, they're going to have to fund the government. We're going to go through this garbage again. They're going to go into the continuing resolutions, and it never changes. Until somebody up there has the brass or the backbone to say, we have got to stop. And now think of, think of the spending we've done under Biden. And, you know, your listeners, they, they've heard me say, when I came into Congress, we were at roughly $13 trillion in debt. When I left, we were at $28 trillion. That was 2021. We're at $34 trillion. So we went from $28 trillion in 2021 to $34 trillion in 2023. That's five years, went up six, $6 trillion. Look at how many people they brought into this country illegal. Over $5 million in this administration alone, on top of the $11 million that were here illegally. Not all of them, but of the new bunch, these $5 million, I'll guarantee you 90% of them are in some kind of government assistance. How much has that raised our debt? How much has that raised our spending? Yet Congress is not working to address that. And I told you today, I heard that that interview on on the on the triangle. They call it. It's an area where you get press releases and reports in front of the Capitol, so it looks really majestic and official. Talking, it could be the border, but today it was talking about the fentanyl crisis of what we have to do to stop it. Mind you, when I went up there in 2013. The fentanyl crisis was just starting, and we were having hearings and meetings and what we had to do to stop it. And it hasn't changed. In fact, it's gotten worse. And all they do is talk about it, and they do the same thing with the debt ceiling. We know how to fix this, but do you have the backbone to fix it? And these people don't. I mean, it's just it's a mess up there. You know, um, the article points out, my little cheat sheet here, that the government has temporarily shut down repeatedly. Yeah. During Clinton, Obama and the Trump presidencies. Right. And um, some federal obligations go temporarily unmet. But when the shutdown ends, the obligations are paid. And the reason this happens is because the government runs out of lawful authority to spend. Right. Um, The X date would happen because the government runs out of lawful authority to raise revenue. I thought was an interesting point to make. This is very complicated. Most people you know, may not get their head wrapped around this, but why all this? Well, I know the answer. I'm really singing to the choir here. But why all this hysteria? You know, all this saber rattling about, well, you know, they've met again and they can't. uh, What do you think of the job McCarthy's doing? Is that, um, is he, I know you were reluctant to endorse him in the beginning. I understand all that. Now, what's going on here, do you think? No, no. Did you say I was going to endorse him? No, reluctantly in the beginning. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I wouldn't have voted for Kevin. Yeah. Um, he is there now, and we we have to hope that he can pull something out of his hat that will avert the shutdown. You know, it becomes a political game, and now the left is on there on the TV and on the news and the media saying, oh, the Republicans are going to do this, so you're going to lose your Social Security check, veterans aren't going to get paid, people are going to go starving and hungry because they're not getting food assistance, food stamps. And it's the same story you hear every year when we go through this fight. Nobody dies from starvation um, because of what whether there's this threat of a shutdown. Everybody gets their check. It may be a, a week or two late, you know, and uh, we have to deal with this every year. And they will continue to deal with this every year until they address the underlying problem. And um, I forget what your question was, but the media is behind this because they want ratings. That's what where you're going. So they're doing that to, to put one side against the other. The politicians do the same thing. I heard the Democrats blaming the Republicans. And, and you'll have all these talking heads out there. The bottom line is we hire these representatives to go up run this country efficiently, and they're not doing this. And you and I have talked about this. If we had any of these people in a business of ours that we were backing, 
and they ran this business like this country, we'd fire every one of them. I mean, I would just start with a new clean slate and give them the mandate. We have the mandate as we, the people, and we need to exercise it at the elections. And just say, these dunderheads have been there. Kevin McCarthy, uh, I shouldn't call him a dunderhead, but he's been there since, I think, 2006. And we've gotten worse. He, keep in mind, he's the guy that brought up my last year in Congress uh, when we had the majority. I think that was 2019. He brought up the omnibus bill that nobody read. And it was terrible. I mean, it, it increased our, our deficit spending by $1.3 trillion, added to our debt, and it didn't solve any problems. But they keep saying, oh, we're going to have these spending cuts. No, you're not. It's it, That part's a joke. And we need to get people that are adults up there say, we've got a problem, we're going to fix it. And, yeah, there is going to be austerity measures, but they'll be easy today compared to when they're forced on you. And austerity measures is when you have to trim some programs. And, and reform them to where they work better. You know, so many things come to mind right now as you're talking about D.C. Uh, that uh, remind me of, of Gainesville. Why are we finally going to get some control over the slush fund money coming out of GRU? I was just going to say the GRU is a perfect example. Yeah. Perfect example. I mean, the, the, common, the, the commanders of that, if you will, the bureaucrats, um, never confronted it, took it for granted. Comrades. Comrades. Yeah. <laughs> And, um, you know, they, they abused it. And finally, there was a greater power to come in and straighten the thing out. We don't have that in D.C. You know, we don't have an, uh, uh, ex- except the people. And the people are kind of buffalo about all these things all the time and uh, very, very seldomly understand it. So just a little thing about the city of Gainesville. The GRU thing is obvious. I, have a, I happen to know a lady who uh, thought she was on the Regional Transit Authority. Uh, as an advisory group, okay? This is funny. It's kind of funny. You know, these advisory committees. You know, ha- in the city of Gainesville, nobody listens to them. And so people put their time in and nothing happens, you know? And so this lady wanted to know, <laughs> asked me, you know, you think I'm still on the advisory committee? I said, well, go to the website and see. Well, the website hadn't been updated since 2018. So, <laughs> <laughs> so here's a Here's a lady who thinks she might be on the on the on the advisory committee, except it's not updated, so she doesn't know or not. She got to drive a long way to get there to this meeting. It's down at the bus depot, wherever in Gainesville, and finally she gets frustrated, can't get an answer, no one to appeal to, and so resigns from something she may never have been a member of to begin with, but had been yep. attending last year the meetings. <laughs> That's kind of like when I was um, when I had my spat with AOC. Um, I got removed from a board of some Christian ministry. They called me up, told me they took me off the board. And I said, I didn't know I was on the board. <laughs> oh, you were on the board. So we ran a check in our office. We had never, I don't think we ever met with them. We were never on a board, but they announced, and it's on, uh, uh, what is that, Wikipedia, where I was thrown off the board uh, because of my, my, uh, on, on, uh, <laughs> things I, I, I allegedly said, but what you were just talking about, uh, number one, it's, it's kind of scary. The lady thought she was on the advisory board, but wasn't sure. I um, couldn't find out. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that they don't listen to anything they tell them to. I think of these hearings that are going on, whether it's on uh, the January 6th, the Trump investigation, the, uh, illegal activity, the FBI will have investigations. They're going to have great meetings. They're going to get great information out of there. But if nobody listens to them, what was it good for? You know, and I told you before, when uh, they had the uh, Mueller report going on or investigation going on, I was there when um, they were, I went to some of the meetings where Vilsack, not Vilsack, but um, Vindman, Colonel Vindman was in there, uh, ratting on Trump and said that he uh, said some things inappropriate, which he didn't. Um, and, you know, those investigations go on, but nothing is comes out of that. And so you've heard me say this before, don't bother doing the investigation if you're not going to hold somebody accountable. Uh, and that's what I fear. The, the Republicans are going to go through this, these investigations. Two years will be here before you know it. The Democrats are going to run on the Republicans. Let the government shut down. They'll win 
and uh, people need to watch Joaquin Jeffries. Watch what he's saying. Listen to him. And um, he he's becoming articulate. Not that he wasn't, but he's becoming the next Obama. He will be the Speaker of the House if the Democrats get the control. And then if they maintain control of the Senate, you've got Joaquin Jeffries and um, Chuck Schumer in the Senate. Wow. And then if you get a Democratic president, this country will not go through the fundamental transformation from a constitutional republic to a Marxist state. It'll finish that transformation. This is what's at stake. And in the meantime, we're sitting here doing these investigations. Nobody's holding anybody accountable. We, we make fun of Biden, how uh, geriatric he is and dementia in the meantime, his policies are being enacted and this country is changing in front of us and we're making fun of it and we're doing these investigations. In the meantime, the Democrats are preparing the next time they get the ball and they're right at the goal line. And I you think that's- Chuck, You mentioned Chuck Schumer a moment ago and yeah. I'll never forget the way Rush Limbaugh said the name. Chuck U. Schumer. <laughs> you know, and that's what we do. We make fun of them, but you better, we better start looking at the policies. Oh, he's dangerous. Can. He's dangerous. You know, let me yeah. ask you something. It seems like this parallels in many ways your time in Congress as special counsel John Durham's long-awaited report. Um, you had to be around for a bunch of this junk. It's, uh, yeah. Yeah, no yeah. wonder. No he started right basis. at the end of my, my last term. Here's the findings, of course. It's not news to you or many of the American people, but no proper basis to launch the crossfire hurricane. Uh, fraught with Hillary Clinton connections. Um the dossier of Russian disinformation. I'm just going through this. Well, paid for by the Clinton campaign. Yeah, paid for by the Clinton. No Podesta, collusion. Yeah, no collusion, no crimes charged. Um, special counsel didn't come up with anything in the thing. How, long, how many years did that darn thing take? I mean, well, I guess it was. Um, three years. Yeah, yeah. Because I've been out three Oh, no, I've been out two years. But listen, again, going back, when I was in those hearings and paid attention to that, I read the intelligence report of Russia collusion that Devin Nunes put out. I'm not a lawyer. I read it. And the FISA Court, uh, Foreign Intelligence Survey Act, um, Surveillance Act, um, allowed the FISA courts to be stood up. And those are things that they don't take notes in those courts with the judges. There's no handwritten notes. There's no record. And uh, it's a very close organization. And not being a lawyer, the first one was predicated on there was collusion and things like that that were proved to be false. And by the time they did the second, third, and fourth FISA warrants for wiretapping and and, uh, investigating these people, those should never have been allowed. And so the whole investigation should have been thrown out after they found out the first one, uh, the FISA warrant that was issued, was issued on falsities. And so had people stood up back then and threw that out, we wouldn't be where we're at today. And Trump would still probably be president. We're in a dangerous situation in this country, as you know. Yeah. yeah. Strong leadership. And we need people, and they're not going to do what's popular. They're going to do what's right. And it's like being a parent, you know, you're, you've got to make the tough decisions for your family and, you know, your kids and your wife may not like it, or your wife may make the decision that the husband doesn't like, but if it's the right decision, that's what you have to do. And that's where we are in America. Well, it looks like we're going to be in for another series of, um, of, um, can we say distractions, uh, deliberate distractions. I uh, just want to go through, since DeSantis is probably going to make a move today, uh, one of the summaries of what he's done here. You know, when I see these, somebody bash in Florida, I know right away they're not living in Florida. Um, they're doing it for some sort of political reason. <clears throat> Other than Trump, he's bashing it, says it's a terrible state. Well, he's pat, he's bashing it. You know how that is. And I, that may backfire on him. <clears throat> I think it will. <laughs> yeah. But here, DeSantis' legislative record um, May 15th came out in the journal. Taxes and spending, you know, we got no income tax. We do have a 6% sales tax, um, but we've got a $117 billion budget is up 6%. Okay. Where else can you say that? Um, 
education, school choice is going to become universal. And each family is eligible for about 8,700 bucks, uh, with priority going to households below the 185% of the poverty line. I know one family just really kicking their heels excited about that, that they get school choice, get out of the public school system. <clears throat> Brian, that's the way it should be. And it should be a state issue as abortion should be. Yeah. And, um, this is pretty interesting. The public unions dues may no longer be automatically deducted from the paychecks of many government workers. You know, that has really been something long overdue. You know, I know in the school system, a lot of teachers don't want to be in the union, but the reason they join the union is the union represents them with a lawyer in case some parent uh, comes after them for whatever, you know. And so the teachers have found themselves, many of them, uh, being involved with the union out of that one single criterion that affects them. At the university, the union is really only about 8% of the faculty. It's not, a, you know, and yet it gets a lot of press attention as if it everybody rushed and joined it. No, they don't. They stay it's out of it. They will. And when I was at the college, people kept telling the president behind my back that I was trying to organize a union because I was the Senate president. But we didn't want another administration to answer to. You know, that's what you have. If you have a union, you not only got your president and his bureaucracy to answer to, then you got the doggone president of the union to answer to. Yeah. And so nobody, we didn't want that. You know, we didn't want a union, crying out loud. So it's interesting. It's interesting. And these unions, I know this for a fact, will contribute to each other's political candidates across county lines in county school board races. Oh, yeah. Yeah. They do that, and it's 90, 90 plus percent Democrat. Yeah, absolutely. Pr- promote the Marxist agenda. I mean, they're doing it. And it's, you know, people think I, I, I speak too hard on the, the Marxist agenda, but it, tell me, it's here. I mean, listen to our, our illustrious vice president that says, um, we haven't achieved enough. You know, those should give according to their ability to those according to their needs. That's right out of uh, uh, Karl Marx's book. Um, you know, founder of Marxism. And, you know, I mean, you look at the Gainesville City Commissioner, um, who was the one that was an avowed communist? It was, uh, what's his name? Hutchison. Oh, pick it. <laughs> Close your eyes and take a pick, you know. <laughs> and Byerly, I mean, he was a renowned socialist and said he was proud of it. And, you know, we can't change the makeup of America, you know, the ethnic groups and things like that. But we in government and we the people can fight to preserve, you know, the founding principles that says our rights come from government or from the creator, not from government, and our core values that says we're all created equal to pursue life, liberty, and justice, and it's held together by that Constitution. That's the thing that makes America America. That's those ideals that people around the world want to have, and that's what we all should fight to preserve. And it's not Republican, Democrat, liberal, conservative, white, black. It's American principles, and we need a leader that brings us together over those ideologies. And uh, I remember, um, who was Al Gore when he was running? We've got two Americas. And it's kind of like Morgan Freeman said, well, yeah, if you keep talking about that, people are going to pick sides. But if you say we are the United States of America, that's what makes us strong. People will come together. And uh, I'm not seeing that in any of these leaders, although they talk about it. Got a question coming in. It's kind of interesting. We just dipped over uh, Asia. DeSantis has um, signed a bill, I think, that prevents China from ownership of land in Florida. Yeah. Is that right? Can you talk about that? Yeah, he signed that bill. Uh, if it's a Chinese entity, and I don't know if state sponsor entity, um, um, an SEC, state uh, or S, uh, state-owned enterprise, SOE, um, if he's going after just that, or if it's a Chinese citizen that's here legally, can he buy land like anybody else? And so I think that's going to be challenged in the courts. I, I think the idea of it, if it's a Chinese um, corporation, we know those are controlled by the Communist Party. Absolutely. Keep them out of the country. I don't want them not just in Florida. I don't want them in the country because they are working to undermine us. They are the Trojan horse. Indonesia, and this is a case in point to drive this home. Indonesia has a lot of mining. Over 60% of those mines are controlled by China. You don't go anywhere 
in the mining industry in Indonesia without the authority of China in a foreign country dictating it. And they have the Chinese uh, population there. They have the Chinese restaurants, the hotels, and the businesses to support that. So they're building a Chinese enterprise in Indonesia. And that's what they do around the world. And so I think it's wise that our leaders are saying, you're not bringing that in. But if you're a Chinese individual that wants to create a a restaurant or any kind of business, you're going to hire the local population. Man, I'll, I'll have you here. But don't be a member of the Communist Party working against us in this country. I don't know why we tolerate that. It probably, if it's worded the way we may, it, it may be worded, it might it'll get challenged. Uh, I don't think you can successfully single out a individual owner because of his, um, wow, his, his, uh, affiliation with another country. I, I, I don't think, you know, I've never seen it anyway where you got to, you could get away with it. Well, it, it, on that kind of stuff, yeah, on land and buying stuff like that, because you can't go to China and buy land. So right. why should they come here? Um, Carolyn, last night, my wife was bringing up that, and I forget what, I don't know what school it was, but they're limiting the amount of Asians in enrollment in this university. Now, think about that. If you're Asian, don't apply. And that's straight out racism. And I thought we got rid of that. And, uh, you know, you would think organizations like the NAACP would re- weigh into that because racism is racist. It's wrong. Yeah, I ran across that at some point in my midnight auto yard here. I don't have that printed out, though, but I saw it. And uh, it is addressing what she was thinking about. Yeah. yeah. Um, the problem with um, doing that is really the Asians should be and are, if you include them, the model to emulate, the discipline to emulate, the the priority to to to, to strive for. Um, as I always tell everybody at Santa Fe College when I was there, we had a um, free help lab. Any student could go anytime. We had the thing practically open 24-7, 365, and go in there and get help for any kind of need that was, you know, that student wanted, you know, writing skills, uh, computation, you know, anything like that. You couldn't keep the Asian kids at the school out of that place. Yeah. You could not. I'm going to say it now. I'm just going to say it because it's a fact. You could not get, and we had it all ranked. You could not get a black male to go. Okay. Would not go. I'm saying you know, generally the, the demographics here. Right. We, we invented, we found the successful black male kids at the school who were doing what they should be doing, taking care of themselves and their academic accomplishments and not being a part of some negative attitude, you know? So we rounded right. them up and invented a name for them called my brother's keeper and said, how about you guys forming a club and setting the example? It's got to come from you. It can't come from white people. Because those guys think it's white education they're getting. They don't want white education, but they don't understand that they get that education going to free them to compete in the world. And so we well, found this brother's keeper, and it was sort of successful. And they would go around and get kids to get into their group and encourage them to do well academically. But um, it was a very tough climb, and I was in on kind of thinking that through. Well, in the, in the free enterprise system, of course, sports is a perfect example of this in business. You reward merit. You reward performance. And if the Asian are outperforming everybody, I think we ought to applaud them. But then we ought to look in, in, inwardly to us and say, we better tighten up and we better start achieving. And that's where competition, you know, I want what he has and I can get it if I do what he has done or they have done. And, um, you know, instead of, of encouraging this group that's like falling behind, using the Asian model as, hey, we can be like that. Let's do that to inspire the other group. But instead we say, oh, we're going to suppress the ones that are achieving because these three people are getting further behind. It goes, it's an, uh, the, the opposite of what America was founded on. You get rewarded on merit. You get rewarded on work if you play fair. If you're cheating, you need to be thrown out. And, um, you know, I don't know how we got out, out away from that as Americans. It's something that happens gradually over time. It's like cooking the frog. I think affirmative action. I think affirmative action. Yeah. But, you know, on Ted's Wednesday, we're out of time, unfortunately. I got another wow. 
story on this that would have been pretty, I don't think I've ever told you before. I've told the audiences before in another session, but not with you on. Um, thank you, Ken Hillier. Says a great show today. Thank uh, Ted's Wednesday and advertised. Uh, uh, say hello to everybody in, in uh, South Korea, Ken. <laughs> thank you. Appreciate it. Appreciate Mina, Kim, uh, Mina uh, Kim was our, our uh, host over there. Jay and Jennifer Kim were our hosts. Yeah, I look for you next Wednesday. Lord's yeah. willing, the creeks don't rise. Uh, Warthog Command Center out. I'll take care, guys.